Tune in. Tune in. Tune in. It's the power of the game. It's the power of the game. It's the power of the game podcast by Golf Saudi. Hello and welcome to the Power of the Game podcast with myself, Robbie Greenfield. This episode's guest is a legend on the European tour. His career dates all the way back to 1996. He's a 15-time winner and his name is also synonymous with the Ryder Cup, where in three appearances as a player in 1997, 2002 and 2014, and then ultimately as a captain a few years later at Le Golf National in Paris in 2018, he's never de- tasted defeat in the competition. He's won every single time he's been either a player or a captain. You've worked it out by now. It is, of course, the one and only Mr. Thomas Bjorn. And Thomas joined me for an extensive chat on all things golf while he was competing in this week's Saudi International. He looks back on his own career. He looks ahead at some of the things that the Kingdom is trying to do to grow the game here. And he does, of course, reflect on that Ryder Cup career, that sparkling Ryder Cup career that saw him lift the trophy with Team Europe in Paris. Let's get to it then. And the first question I had to ask Thomas was how he got started in the game at the tender age of six. I, uh, you know, my parents played and, uh, you know, it was just a family thing and and you you grow up as a kid and, and obviously at that time there wasn't as many other things available to you as a child. So your parents kind of, well, my parents took me to the golf course and, and just kind of parked me there. And I grew up in a wonderful golf club in, in the sense that we were a lot of, uh, a lot of juniors, a lot of uh, kids just having fun and, and spent our weekends there. And that became your like weekend family, really, uh, uh, when you got away from school. So, yeah, growing up, my older brother, four years older than me, you know, was became quite good early on and, and then that kind of brotherly competition grew from there and and it led into us both having decent amateur careers uh, both played for Denmark as uh, as amateurs so it was just a it's one of those things where I think it's a great example of what your parents do and they they do with uh, passion without you know my parents being great golfers but they they loved their golf and and played every Saturday and Sunday so Parents do something and, and you take the kids into it and, and that becomes part of your life. And it kind of shows what golf is all about. And the, the, one of the greatest things about golf is that it, it kind of goes across generations and you can do stuff together as a family. And, and even when you look at, you know, grandparents and stuff, you, you, I was watching a, a video this morning of Gary Player playing with his grandson and having a lot of fun. So, so it just it shows a lot about the game of golf. Um, we, we tend to focus a lot on the professional game and, and, and the sporting side of the game, but, um, you know, golf is, is so much more than that. It, and it brings so much joy to, to a lot of people. And I can only recommend that if, if you, if you are a family to do it as a family, you know, go and, and do stuff with your kids and, and you get a lot of enjoyment out of it. It's a bit like, I always look at it as being a European and Northern European. It's a bit like skiing is, you know, going on a skiing holiday together as a family is one of the greatest things that you can do. And golf is the same. Going on a golfing holiday as a family is, is a great thing to do is being active, doing something and kids love it. And, and you spend some real quality time together. You know, you get those parents who are kind of hell bent on, on producing a child prodigy. I know a few of them myself who've got young kids at the moment and that's become something of a trend, particularly in golf. It sounds like your parents were, very encouraging. But then when you're a, a kid, you want to play all sports, don't you? You want to try your hand at everything. What what kind of, what led you down the path of actually becoming a, a professional golfer? Because Denmark, you know, back in those days, probably not necessarily a hotbed for for producing professional golfers. And yet you were able to go all the way to, to joining the, the European tour. Yeah, but I did all sports. Like I, I played football and I, you know, basketball and I did all sorts of different sports and as a kid. And I think my my parents encouraged that. And and I think growing up in a country where where weather can be quite cold in the winter, it kind of gave an opportunity of doing other sports as well. Um, but every time I was at a crossroads, like, you know, I, I was very much like I wanted to be with my friends and especially playing football. That was a, the, the one thing that, that sticks in a lot of people's minds about, I want to do that because you're, it's a team sport. You're with friends and it, it's, it's good fun. Um, but every time I was at a crossroad, uh, my parents kind of helped me guide me in the right direction of, of maintaining my golf and, and keeping that as a, 
as a main focus of my sport, but they always encourage me to do other sports. And I think that's important. I think, I think you've got to learn to play with others. You know, I think when you become, uh, especially in individual sports, you can get very narrow-minded if you, if you don't try and, and, and go down the route of, of doing other things as well. But I, I was always, golf was always the one thing for me. And even when I had doubts myself, but as a family, I was guided in the right direction to, to make the right choices um, and, and maintain my focus on, on golf. And then when you get to a certain age, you know, that, then you've got to make those decisions yourself. You've got to get, you know, 16, 18 years old when a lot of other things in life become very interesting. You still have to then go, do I want to spend those long summer weekends with my friends and, and do what they do? Or do I want to concentrate on playing my golf and, and understanding? Uh, for me, it was understanding from the 1st of May till, till mid-October golf was my weekends that was what I did and then I had to live my my social life in the in the winter with my friends but you have to make those decisions and I think it that wasn't a difficult decision for me and, and that's always kind of the proof that you you have the drive when you when the golf the sport becomes more important than the social the social aspects of life uh, that was that was what it wasn't a difficult decision where some people struggle with that and then professional sports is is as much as it's very privileged, it's it's a great way to live your life, and, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that's so out of touch with the reality of the real world, really. But it's it is what professional sports uh, is is about. Um, that's great, but I, I think you lose that kind of uh, you know as a youngster. You, if you don't have and say, okay, I want to push myself when I make these decisions, and I'm, you make the right decision to push yourself hard, harder, and make those decisions where you focus on the sport. Well, I don't think this life is for you because I think then you, you kind of come into a world where, you know, you've got to be focused. You've got to be concentrated. It's a long road ahead. And if you, if you don't maintain focus, there's always somebody else that is main uh, is focused and, and then they become better. And then, then this, this life is not for you. You've got to be, you've got to be determined and, and have that inner belief and strength to, make the right decisions at the right times in your life. But they are tough decisions when you are mm. 16, 18 years old, you know, it, it, but that, uh, you know, it's one of the, I think one of the big conundrums with, with life really is because when you are, when you go to school, you know, you, you've been made to make big decisions in a very early life. And, you know, I want to study this, I want to study that, you know, and, and you, you may be not really ready in your mind to know what you want to study. So you kind of just pick something and then you stand there, five, seven years later, finishing your studies and go, mm, well, that wasn't really for me. And and that's that's one of the big problems. I think we, we're made to make life decisions a little bit too early. Uh, we don't have the experience uh, with us, but that's the way the, that's the way we put together, unfortunately. When, when you look back at your, your joining of the European Tour, I think it was 1996 that you joined, Thomas. You know, you join a tour which is global. You're traveling all over the world. You're having to learn so much, I would imagine, in such a short space of time. On paper, it seems like you took to it like a duck to water. You were, you were successful on the tour very quickly and, and you soon established yourself as one of the top players on the European tour. Was it, was it as easy as it looks like it was on paper or were there significant challenges that you had to overcome in those early days? No, I think those challenges early on, you know, I, I think when I, when I turned pro after the Eisenhower Trophy in 92 and, and, and kind of that uncertainty of what professional life was, uh, was like, especially for Dane at that time, you know, there was, uh, there was not much success to draw on as uh, in Denmark. So you, you kind of look towards other countries and, and especially our neighbors in Sweden, how successful they had, they had been over many years. And, and you, you set out in a life where you, you got no idea. And I was yeah good, but also lucky. You know, you, you kind of hit those markers where you hit, hit, the right momentum in the right tournament at the right time. And, and I had some markers through those first couple of years where, you know, I made it onto the challenge tour for very few tournaments, my first year as a professional. And, and then I kind of grew from there and ended up winning the challenge tour. And I think winning the challenge tour in 95 for me was a, as a confidence boost, it was a big thing. You know, I got used to winning golf tournaments. I got used to believing in myself. So when I came out on tour, I, I had a, a belief in me and what I was like as a golfer. That doesn't mean when I stood across from Seve and Faldo and, and those guys, you know, you were still in awe and you were still, you know, certain a lot of things. But when I got on the golf course, 
I always had to believe in myself and, and my abilities and was very good at saying, well, this is what I do. And there might be people that are better golfers than me and greater and all that, but I can still shoot numbers on a, on the golf course. And then things just escalated so quick for me from winning the challenge tour in 95, getting on tour in 96, winning in 96, making a 97 Ryder Cup team. You know, it was, it was just two, three years of just pure, like everything just got better and better and better. And, and you had to, you had to pinch yourself sometimes, but sometimes I just almost forgot that how quick it was going and I was just living in that moment and, and just carrying on. And that's, um, so I was fortunate in that way that I just kind of got on a wave at the right time in my career. And then I was riding that wave into to success. And and once you make that Ryder Cup, first Ryder Cup team, if you can carry on from there, you, you certainly become recognized more in the game. And, and that was for me, a big thing to to make the 97 Ryder Cup team and then winning early on twice in 98 and it kind of established you as somebody people look at and go yeah he's uh, he's right part of of the game in Europe and so yeah fortunate uh, also taking my chances when I got them uh, but very I was very hard working and very single-minded at, at that moment in time in my career. I remember watching that Ryder Cup at Valderrama. I'm going to ask you a little bit more about the Ryder Cup later, but another man that made his debut in that Ryder Cup, or at least for the Ryder Cup side, and I know he turned professional the same year as you, Tiger Woods, of course. And were you aware, Thomas? I know you beat him very famously in, in Dubai in 2001 when you guys went toe-to-toe at the, uh, the Amiga Dubai Desert Classic. But were you aware that golf was undergoing this surge of, of popularity during those years? Yeah, I think it was uh, it was very apparent that, that the game of golf was changing, uh, and Tiger was changing the game of golf. You know, it was certainly a there was certainly a di- different demographic of people that you saw when you went to tournaments that he played in. There was a different attention. Uh, the media attention was different. We didn't have the old school only the old school golf media. We had other media being interested. So the, the the outlook of golf was different when Tiger Woods was at his best and 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 uh, and played his best. There was no doubt about that. He became very quickly the most recognizable sports star in the world. And and America's always had that kind of way of having somebody that kind of is not just a, a sports superstar in in his own sport, but just kind of epitomizes sports in people like Ali and and Jordan and and Tiger was certainly one of those that that became a sports star and not just a golf a golf player and um, everybody wanted to be Tiger Woods and everybody wanted to you know big companies were, were associating themselves with him and and it brought completely different uh, things into the game and and I think when you were inside the ropes with it it uh, you just kind of every week it 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 kind of developed but you didn't really notice it that much but when you look at when I look at back when I started uh, out as uh, on tour to where it ca- uh, came to when over those years from maybe 99 through 2005, it was it was remarkable how the game, game grew uh, all over the world because of Tiger and, and being inside the ropes with it was, uh, you know, you've got to be thankful and you've got to be thankful that 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 was uh, you were in a sport at that time because that happens in sports very, you know, it does happen in in many sports that there's all of a sudden one character that changed at the face of that sport, but to be in it when it was happening and was, uh, was remarkable. And, and, you know, the youngsters today don't know it and, and neither should they, but they, they certainly have a lot to thank him, uh, thank him for that. He's, he's put the game of golf where it is today. You, you and Tiger, you dueled in 2001 at the, the desert classic, him playing around the world, obviously spread the, the popularity of the game during that period. But the Middle East, Thomas, it, you know, I think the European tour, the first venture it made out of its of its continental borders was to Dubai back in 1989. And, and who would have imagined that the Middle East would play such a role in, in the European tour now and be such an integral part of the European tour calendar? It, as a player, from your perspective, and for someone who's been such a stalwart of the tour, how do you feel the Middle East now sits in, in, in line of significance as part and parcel of this global tour? No, but it's a, it plays such a big part of the professional game in, in the way that the tournaments we have here. And, and you know, we, we've been in Dubai for a long time and, and obviously Dubai with, with the relationship with the European tour has, has 
been a part of growing up. But the way it, it has developed in venturing into, you know, Qatar and, and Abu Dhabi and then uh, then Oman and, and now we were in Bahrain for a few years and then now in Saudi Arabia, it shows that there's a, there's a, a growth opportunity for the game in this region that's, uh, that needs to be tapped into, but not for the professional game. But more from growing the game of golf, you know. It, it, I mean, you and I have both spent uh, big parts of our lives in Dubai and know how the golfing scene in Dubai does so much for the city of of, of Dubai and for the tourism of of Dubai. And and there, there's no reason that that can't uh, that can't be pushed into the rest of the region. Um, and I always said it, you know, it's a wonderful place to come. It's a wonderful place to come and spend your time. And and the golf is excellent. And and it's. Um, yeah, for the professional game, it's great. You know, we we need those kind of destinations, but those kind of destinations needs us as well. So it, it's it's something that goes hand in hand very well. It's a relationship that's grown over the years, and and the tour and the, the cities where where we go help try and help each other to to grow that product. Um, not just for the for playing the professional game, but developing the game of uh, the game of golf, and and that's what we what we in essence should be doing we should be trying to get into every corner of the world we should use the game of golf it's such a great vehicle for families it's such a great vehicle to get out and and doing something ex, uh, exercise wise so we should be pushing the game of golf into every corner of the world and and try and help develop it the game we will benefit in the long run as a tour but that's what shouldn't be why we should be doing it we should be doing it so people get to do things that they're they're not used to doing and, and as a as I started this show saying, you know, for families, this is a great, great sport to do something together. And that doesn't matter where it is in the world. You can play golf on, on the ice cap on, on the North Pole, or you can play in the hottest places in the world, you know, but it's still, it's still a great game and there's still an, uh, an opportunity to do it. And in Saudi Arabia in particular, I mean, I was a little surprised when, when things opened up and they had a tournament there. And, and I'm sure a lot of the players on the tour probably thought, well, we might never play in Saudi Arabia. Now there are these incredible opportunities. It's got by far the largest sort of domestic expat or domestic population of any of the, the GCC countries as well. So the untapped potential is there, Thomas. For, from a point of view of uh, attracting more folk to the game and, and from your own experience as well, these tournaments that feature the world's best golfers, how important a role do they play? Obviously, the Saudi International established a couple of years ago. This is its third edition coming into this week. It's going to be an important part of encouraging Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabian nationals to take up the game, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You have to have you have to have a a vehicle that showcases the sport to in in parts of the world where the sport hasn't. Ha- doesn't have a foothold and and it certainly hasn't had a foothold in Saudi Arabia so you've got to use something where people go oh well that could be interesting to go and try and and then with that comes building facilities that accommodates that and and I've always said this it's it's a great idea to build great big old golf courses with superstar designers but you also got to look at what what does grassroots golf need it doesn't need big golf courses. it doesn't need big country club style places it needs small golf courses needs driving ranges it needs places where everybody can go and try and play the game of golf and then from there you you grow the game uh, in that way and that's 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 the role of the people that are trying to implement the, the sport in, in, in these countries is to, to find a way of how do we get people involved in the game of golf in the best possible way. But at the top of the tree is the professional game and the, and the professional tournaments and people can go and see the best people play and get a relationship to, to the sport through the best players. And therefore, the, the, the professional tournaments play a massive role in showcasing it showcasing what golf is all about but underneath all of that there's a lot of work to be done to grow the game from within uh, within these countries and that's that's a job ahead um, but i i think like i look at now this is the third edition of the event and it's been a great success we got obviously obviously unbelievable players here uh, coming and, and playing an event but i also spent a lot of time watching the women's events uh, that were here in, in uh, at the back end of last year and and they were a great success and it just shows that once you put all of these things in together and you try and do all of the things there was a women's event and there was a team's event and now you've got the men 
here uh, this week. You know, putting all these things together, showcase the game of golf, and hopefully that can uh, push push Saudi nationals out to to try and and the game uh, play the game, and also we can help try and create some facilities where it's easier to take up the game. Do we overplay, do you think, the role of heroes? Because, you know, I mean, I remember, of course, when I was a youngster, I looked up to Nick Faldo and, and obviously latterly Tiger Woods as well. And, and, you know, I think it's important that, that you have someone, and I'm not sure whether you did when you were growing up and getting into golf, you have a kind of idol that you look up to. But from, a, from, a, from an Arab perspective, is it important for an Arab player to break through on the European tour? Would that make a big difference, do you think? Or is it enough for... Dustin Johnsons and, and, and the, the world number ones and, and those kind of guys to inspire the youth here in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, well, you've got to start in the right place. I mean, there isn't an hour player at the top of the world, uh, world game of golf. So you've got to start. So this is what we have. Obviously, having an hour player would, would do a lot more for, for pushing the game in, in the Arab part of the world. But that's not the case at the moment that you have that. So you've got to have, okay, we look to the superstars of the world to help and in years to come, then hopefully they inspire somebody to become that player. And then it really takes uh, takes pay, uh, pace with growing the game. But as as I look at sport and, and, you know, I didn't, my biggest heroes in sports weren't Danish sports stars. My biggest heroes was international sports stars. It was people I look at. I, I look back and going, well, who did I relate a one to be, you know, and you look at your Maradona, so you look at your Michael Jordan. So, you know, those were the people I looked to and said, well, they, they are, and they were in different sports. They didn't need to be. So you, you want superstars in sport. They, they can inspire you in so many ways, but that's like anything. I think everybody grows up with having heroes. If it's your parents, it can be your mom and dad. It can be in business. It can be business leaders around the world. It can be politicians and it can be, you know, sports stars. We all have in every walk of life. I think we have somebody we look up to in, in some way, or we certainly should have. Um, so I think having the best golfers here, they, they should inspire a generation of golfers, but they should also in general inspire people to, to just work harder, do better and, and try and be the best that they can be. Because every single player that's here this week have worked extremely hard to be here. They're very privileged and we're very fortunate to do what we do, but they have also worked extremely hard to be here. Looking at what Saudi Arabia are trying to do, Thomas, it's, it's, I think it's unprecedented because a lot, a lot of golf markets have grown organically, as we know. In fact, the vast majority have. There have been very few that have been given this level of impetus, that have had this level of strategic planning. And just looking at, at what their plans are by this, this Vision 2030, they want 13 new golf courses, a minimum of. They want over a million locals to have tried the game of golf, multiple and diverse facilities like Top Golf, and as you mentioned, municipal courses and driving ranges, more international events. I mean, it seems unfeasible, and yet you somehow feel like they're probably going to go and do it because that's the kind of willpower and the desire that they've got to make this change. But, but how complex do you think that is to kind of almost, almost inculcate a, a passion for golf within the, the local playing communities who for so long have loved sports like football and motorsport? Yeah, but I think you've got people here that have a, a vision and, and a will to do. Um, and, and it's sometimes you come across places where people just say, well, we want to do this, but they don't really have the plans in place and the people in place to do it. And when you speak to His Excellency and 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 also to uh, Majid Al so you, you know you're speaking to people that you can hear the passion in them. You can hear that we want to drive this, we want to make this happen in a way that we understand that there's a lot of obstacles away. There's a, but there's a passion about uh, building this and and getting the support to do this in the country. And I and I think that that's you don't come across it as passionate as that very often. And that's for me is, is the one thing that I, I, you know, I, I look at, I come here for three years, I talk, have conversations all the time and you can hear that the conversations are just moving on and then then moving on in a way of the plans are being put in place and they're not just going okay we're going to do this and then they built one golf course and then the golf course sits and nobody goes on it and then it kind of dies out no there's a great plan to 
to we put the plans in place and we execute and we we get the right people with us and then we develop a sport uh, from within and and I think that they they will succeed in doing it because the willpower is there and that's the that's the key thing we yes the professional game will have events and 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 benefit greatly but it's not about that for me like I, I look at it and go here's a part of the world that where you can grow the game of golf and and anytime there's a growth in a sport somewhere in the world yes the professional game will always benefit from that but it's it shouldn't start with the uh, looking at okay we're just gonna do the professional game and then the other things will follow no we we're using these professional tournaments as a vehicle to grow the grassroots and we want to grow the game of golf in the region and then over time yes there'll be more professionals uh, here professionals uh, tournaments here but that's not what it's all about it's actually about looking at what can we do with the game of golf and bring it to the people of Saudi Arabia if we were recording this last year, Thomas, we'd probably be sat in the same room having this conversation. And yet the, the events of the last 12 months have, have transpired. And yet it seems, and I can only speak from speaking to my friends back home in the UK, obviously what I've witnessed out here in the UAE, there has been a resurgence in the popularity of golf through this pandemic. People have have either returned to the golf course to play more or they've actually taken up the game because it's it's offering a respite. It's offering a safe space as well. How do you think the game can best capitalize on on what has un, undoubtedly been a spike in 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 popularity over the last sort of twelve months? Yeah, but it, it goes back to what we talked about already. That I think one of the things that that's happened, and and as much as is is an awful thing that we're going through, and 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 a lot of people having a tough time. What it what it has done is that people have kind of regrouped and said, what can we do together? as a family and there's golf is great where a lot of kids play their own sports and, and mom and dad do their own thing. And then we kind of, okay, on Saturday, I go and do this and you go and do that. And then that's kind of where a lot of things has automatically been shot down in, in this time, which is, which is unfortunate, but it kind of gone, okay, well, we can now all go and play golf. So now we all go and it's a great, it's shown what a great sport it is. And people are getting their eyes open to that. Oh, well, I can do something on the weekend with my kids actually. And, and, and that's the go the game of golf has benefited from that. I, I would, I would like to sit here and say that I wish we hadn't, we weren't in this situation and, and we were carrying on as normal. And I think it's going to be a while before we are going to get back to normal, but yeah, golf has benefited in that way. Uh, but I think it also goes back to that, when you go through tough things like this, everybody just kind of takes a step back and regroups and, and evaluates where they are in their lives and, and, and realize that family is important. Having people close to you uh, is very important. And, and there's certain sports that certainly attracts that more. And, and yes, but that's a message that once we are through the pandemic and through on the other side, we should, we should get that message across to people that, this is what golf is all about. And I think golf also then needs to regroup itself. I see, I see very too much of like junior training camps where it's just juniors together at the same age group. Well, that's not what golf, golf is about people being together. And it doesn't matter what age you are. My, my 78 year mother loves going to play golf with my 16 year old son. You know, that is what golf is all about. That's what it's, that's what, golf should be promoting and not like I'm 16 years old. So I'm just going to go and practice golf with another 15, 16 year olds. You know, that that's not, that's not the, because you can do that in every sport. Golf goes across generations and it, it, it brings some completely different values to, to the human being. And I think that's important to get that message across. Before we finish this conversation with my favorite line of questioning to you, which is of course the Ryder cup, I do want to ask quickly, Thomas, about this new streamlining of, of professional golf and the, the alliance between the European and, and PGA Tour. Now, I'm not sure. I don't personally understand what this really represents going forward in the future. But are we going to see more co-sanctioned events, in, in your opinion? Obviously, this week in Saudi Arabia, we've got quite a lot of the top high-profile PGA Tour players over. And, and that's been a consistent thing that we've seen over the years in, in high-ranking events in the European Tour. But... Does golf need to get a little bit more streamlined in, in the future, do you think? 
Um, I don't know if it needs to be streamlined. I think that, but I, what I do think is that I think the game of golf needs to be careful that it doesn't position itself in a place where it it only really promotes the best of the game in very few places in the world. I think we we run the risk of that's where we're going. I think there's a there's some opportunities being missed uh, in taking the game of golf at the highest level to a global sport. Uh, there's certain places in the world where the best players in the world literally never goes and, and in great golfing nations. So if you look at, if you look at Japan, you look at Australia, you look at South Africa, which over decades have produced unbelievable golfers, uh, you know, the best players don't go there very often and they should. Uh, so, over time, there should be an opportunity in, within the game to say, no, we're going to create a sport that is represented globally by the best players. Um, and I think that one of the things that I always fear is when people want to do something and they want to do it too quickly. I think this alliance between the PGA Tour and the European Tour is something that gives you an opportunity to do it it over time and not rush it and have those conversations and see what works for the tours. Because... You know, contracts are in place and certain things that works for the tour are in place. And you can't just tear that up overnight and then start all over. You've got to slowly move into it. And you've got to also educate your players. You know, a player that that goes to college in America and lived their life in America and then goes on the PGA Tour, they have no really desires to go outside of America. Why should they? They, they can play over 30 tournaments on the PGA Tour, great events, great tour, uh, the best tour in the world to play on. Um, so it, it's a fantastic place to be. Why would you, when you can get in your car and play five weeks in a row in Florida, why should you get on an airplane and fly to the other side of the world? Like, there's no need. So you've got to have an education of players and say, well, this is this is how we're going to, how we see the game of golf going forward. And that's not something you can do overnight. So it, it's, um, I think the alliance is, is going to, start those conversations i think it's going to develop into something yeah where we where we'll do more things together uh, and i think that can only be good for the game of golf i think this kind of divide that's been between the tours of the world where everybody's fighting for for the same thing is is something that can't be good in the long run for the game it's much better that you sit down at a table and and you kind of sort out and make sure that the game of golf benefits and and through that the, the fans benefit you know that that's you know you're trying to sell a product to the fans and and to tv um, and make that the best product you can and they can only do that by being on the same page i think and yet it's interesting that you mentioned the divide because i think coming on to the Ryder cup a, a, an event that you are synonymous with uh that divide has helped create the narrative of this Ryder cup the kind of the mighty, some might say even arrogant PGA Tour. Certainly, if you look back to those Ryder Cups of the early 90s, the war on the shore and the Battle of Brookline and, and those kind of encounters where it was all about bloodying the nose of, of the mighty PGA Tour for, for the European Tour. Seve himself said that that's what inspired and motivated him to, to become or make the Ryder Cup such a big part of his career and, and, and how important it was for him. And as we've seen over the years, you were presiding over the, the Ryder Cup as captain in 2018. It's become this monstrous event. Uh, and, and, and it's something that really is sits at the right at the pinnacle of golf now. Can you talk about your own experiences of, of how it's grown, making your debut under Seve as a player in, in 1997? I'm sure you've got an anecdote or two about that experience. And then all the way through to, to actually getting the ultimate honor of captaining the side, Thomas. Yeah. I mean, uh, as I said earlier, you know, yeah. I got kind of thrown into the middle of that Ryder Cup in 97, being on tour for 18 months and not really have any concept of, you know, thinking back that the Ryder Cup before that in 1995, I was on the Challenge Tour, you know. So when you're on the Challenge Tour, trust me, the Ryder Cup seems a long way away from you. It is certainly not, seems something very un, unachievable. So when you, when you get thrown in the deep end, like I did in 97, you, you, you just follow you follow leaders, you follow what, what's happening. And, you know, you're in a team, Seve was the captain, but you're also in a team with your, I mean, Faldo, Wusi, Langer, you know, Monty, Olasabal. You know, it was just a team of, of superstars, heroes, my, you know, golfing heroes growing up. So you, you sit there and you kind of like, 
Whew, this is it's almost too much to take in. So I kind of took uh, the role of just like, I'm going to be here. When he says to me, I'm going to play, I'm going to play and I'm going to do my best. And and that's that's what it is. Um, but there's certainly, I would say, 97 was a very quiet Ryder Cup for, for rivalry. It was, a, it was quite a pleasant Ryder Cup, I thought. And I missed 99 and that obviously became quite... Uh, one of the more famous ones uh, and and i think there was a lot of hope after 91 that that you were never going to experience that again and and brookline certainly got a little bit a uh, little bit close um, for a lot of people's liking for 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 where the balance is between patriotism and sports fans to to something that that goes beyond that but that's um, sport has you know it's emotional it it uh, it's passionate and and the and when you have these situations, it's you know it's the hurt that comes out in in other things. And but you know, to for me, I look at look back at the Ryder Cup and say that rivalry that was, and certainly the passion the European players had back then, like was borderlining sometimes on a little bit of that kind of enemy feeling that was between Europe and America at that time, um, which. You know, we never really bought into that that much, uh, and that's certainly not the case today. You know, when you look at the teams today, and and when I look at uh, the team I had in in Paris in in 2018, you know, they they're great friends across the teams. So there's but there's still the passion is still there. They're, you know, they, they that doesn't disappear, and it's a, but it's a different kind of passion. They are they are great friends, and certainly a lot of them are great friends. You know. I think Ricky Fowler was in in Sergio's wedding party, so it, it's difficult to exp- to imagine that then they go head to head on in the singles on Sunday. And uh, but they want to beat each other as bad as Sevi and, and Asing wanted to beat each other back in, in those days. But it's a, it's a different kind of rivalry. Uh, but I think sports has moved to there in general. You know that kind of almost borderlining on on hatred a uh, rivalry has disappeared in sport uh, to a more um, you know you, you can you can go back to look at uh, you know football and stuff like that you know you look at a liverpool manchester united rivalry yes the the clubs and the fans and they drive this uh, rivalry up but but the players you know they they don't have that kind of there's not a hatred rivalry between them but there's a there's a respectful rivalry between them and when they get into the games and and like in the Ryder Cup when you get into the matches you want to win so much and you go at it uh, with 110% and and give everything you have and then you stand on Sunday and you shake hands and but they shake probably hands a little bit differently today than they used to uh they they're certainly closer to each other as, as people. But that that's, again goes back to they play on the same tour. They see each other week in, week out. We never saw the American players. We saw them six, seven times a year. You know, that, that was it. Major championships, maybe a, a few here and there. But now they play on the same tour. They see each other week in, week out. They, I mean, it seems like 95% of the PGA Tour lives in Jupiter, Florida, so they, they live next to each other as well. So, so, so they, you know, they have those kind of relationships, which is great, you know, to be a captain of, and, and Jim, Jim Fjord and I was of that kind of generation that kind of was in the swab over from that big rivalry uh, back, and we both played in 97, and, and, then, and then to to what it is today. And that kind of creates that between the captains also a very respectful rivalry and a respectful relationship. And and I look back at it and go, I was very lucky. You know, I, I went through a Ryder Cup with not much incident and uh, and obviously we were successful. Uh, I had a great team. But, but I look at it and I go, I don't think that rivalry would ever disappear because the event itself is so great. And it's, you know, we play in Europe and all the European fans gets up and we as Europeans want to show what Europe is all about. And then we go to American, I mean, patriotic American golf fans or fans in general, you know, they get very, very loud. And, and as the day goes on, they get even louder when they had a few beers. So that's that's what it's about. And, and that creates an environment that's always going to bring out that kind of because when you're under pressure and you have the fans against you, you want so desperately to show. So you that brings out the best in athletes. Like they, I mean, all the greatest athletes in the world most say that they love playing away because they brought out the best in them because they have that kind of 
I want to, when they boo at me, I want to stick it to them, the kind of attitude. And so I don't think just because the tours are going to come back uh, closer together, I don't think the rivalry is going to go away. I think that's, uh, that's going to live, uh, live a great life going forward. So it is an amazing event. It's, uh, it's, it's remarkable that a, that a golfing event can bring that kind of passion and, and that kind of uh, spirit to a, to a, to sport. But, it's just a, it's a fantastic thing to be be a part of, and fans I think love it, uh, and they, you can feel that. But being inside the ropes is one of the one of the best things you can you can ever imagine. Your best memory from from Paris, Thomas? <laughs> you know, I've got so many great memories. I think those moments in the locker room with with the twelve players, like those those intimate moments. That's our world. Uh, I played one of the videos for them one night uh, that I'd made, where where we went back a bit and 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 had some passionate talk from from some of the ex players in in the Ryder Cup, and playing the, that video for them and seeing their reaction and seeing how much it meant to them and and it kind of put a tear in a few of the the guys' eyes to have those moments where it's just you and the twelve players. All those fantastic moments on the golf course is great, you know, and you experience them in Ryder Cup. But having that intimate moment where they bought into what I believe. Uh, you know, for me, that was kind of like, because as a captain, you go around for 20 months and think, I'm making stuff up here and I have no idea if they're going to buy into it. I have no idea if I'm right or wrong. I have some beliefs and I believe that I can, that that's the way it should be for them to be their best. But if they don't buy into it, I can think whatever I want. And and sometimes you almost think yourself into a place where you think, am I crazy here or am I have I got this right and you sit there and balance those things like should I say this should I do this and when you then then present it to them and they buy into it and you can see their reaction and for me I mean I was a good golfer but I wasn't you know I had great golfers in my team and and you know for me to stand in front of Roy McIlroy and get him to buy into something I say is quite a powerful a powerful thing for for me because he's a much better golfer than I ever came close to be and so so to kind of get that message across and and see him going yeah I'm gonna go with that and I'm I'm believing this and I'm, I'm you think but at least the things I've picked up from captains in the past and players in the past in the Ryder Cup I put that all together in a in a pot and got something out of it and that's actually making some of the best players in the world going. Mm, this is a this is a good idea. I'm buying into it. That's that's my best memories of it. We're going to break away from this conversation with Thomas just for a moment to get another perspective on that memorable weekend in Paris from one of the most successful European players. You may recall the duo of Mollywood, Francesco Molinari and Tommy Fleetwood forming one of the most potent partnerships in Ryder Cup history. And it was Tommy Fleetwood who we've managed to catch up with to give his insight on Thomas Bjorn's leadership as a captain and his memories of competing at Le Golf National in Paris. Here's Tommy. Uh, well, he's been, he's been my only captain so far, and I thought he was great from day one of him being announced as the captain, I think. Because, you know, the Ryder Cup captain season just that one week. It's a two-year um, you know, long stretch, and I think how he handled it. I, I think Thomas Bjorn as himself, he was um, a much calmer character that we saw than what he might be about himself in his own golf. I think he, you know, he handled. There was a couple of you know, like big moments that I think he handled amazing on that particular week. But as in the whole process of Radical, um, how he was with me and the players and um, and everything like that. You know, it's hard to think that you could ask for more. He was great. Uh, we were well we're you know clearly mates and I think our games match well personalities match but we were on a family holiday in the Bahamas at the time and we were sat around the pool and we were just like I think we should play together in the Ryder Cup <laughs> like having a good time and he's gone yeah yeah so we're like well let's text Thomas and, and do it and, and like that was pretty much it we were like on a sun lounger around a pool in the Bahamas at one point I think I was on his back on a slide um but yeah, we, we were like, you know, just having a family holiday and decided that, you know, we'd like to play together and put it forward and that's how it came about. And you still got to play well. I mean, we had, you know, that great turnaround on day one and the rest is history, as they say. 
Let's get back to this conversation with Thomas Bjorn then. And while he can rest on his laurels and look back on that victorious 2018 Ryder Cup campaign, the job that faces Podrick Harrington in 2021 is a daunting one. He's taken the team over to Wisconsin, whistling straight to try and win on away soil. What did Thomas think of Europe's prospects this time around? No, we, we chatted a bit uh, and, uh, you know, Paul was a great vice captain to me and, and we've been in, in teams together and we, we lived that whole tour life. Uh, he came on tour in 96 as well. So we, we know each other very well. So, yeah, we do have conversations, but it's very, very important that he is his own man and he does put his own spin on it and it's true to himself. And, and that's the advice I, I give him. Be true to yourself because the players will see right through it if you're some, somebody you're not. So, um, but he he has a he has a team that uh, that's going to go through a bit of a change. But he's uh, if you look at it right now, it uh, he has a wonderful team with people like Casey and Hovland and you know coming in from Till playing the golf that that he's playing. So he has a wonderful team of players, and and yeah, there's going to be some change in personnel, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. And and um, but he's just got to be he'll be true to himself and. You know, I, I say this, you can win or lose a Ryder Cup and, and obviously from the outside world, you're great if you win and, and not so great if you lose. But, I, I, you know, you've got to always go back to that, have a lot of respect for the opposition, you know, and say that, that there's a, there is only two teams and one is going to win and one's going to lose. But um, I have a lot of belief in this European team. Uh, I, I think we have some youth strengths that's coming through now that uh, that's going to be the new generation and and John Ryan being at the forefront of that uh, I think that's going to be uh, it's going to be an exciting Ryder Cup for, for Europe to follow um, and you know I, I can only say that I think Podrick I mean he's He's won three major championships. He's a great champion of golf. You know, he's played his plenty of Ryder Cups. He, he has all the tools and he knows what makes the players tick. So he'll be a fantastic captain and he'll do a great job. But there's no there's no guarantees for success. I cross my fingers and hope that they, they will win like like every other golf fan in Europe. Um, but there's no guarantees because you, you've got to look at the opposition and also say that's an extremely strong side. Yeah, one thing's for sure. I'm going to be leaving an indent in my sofa for those three days, Thomas, when that Ryder Cup takes place. Looking forward to it. I am going to let you go. Just going to wrap up, though, uh, with, with a look forward. We're going to be doing a lot of that in, in this podcast series. Obviously, Golf Saudi very focused on, on achieving their goals for 2030. For yourself personally, I'm just curious, have you been inspired by, by Darren, Darren Clark's recent success over on the the Champions Tour as you look ahead to your to your own career and what the next few years look like for you? And what would you like to see changes made in golf or, or where golf would, would potentially get to in the next eight or nine years by 2030, Thomas? Um, well, that does, I mean, I, from a personal point of view, I mean, I'm 50 years old in 15 days' time. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting to a place in, in life where, where certain other things are going to be, or things are going to be very different for in, in golf. And, and the one thing I'm looking forward to the most is to walk out on a fairway and realize that somebody 20 yards behind me instead of 90 yards ahead <laughs> of me, uh, which is pretty much every every week at the moment. So that's going to be, uh, yeah, that's obviously a different uh, place in your life to go on and play some seniors golf. I think it's it's time for me to to do that. I, I will probably not give up the main tour for for a couple of years, but I certainly won't be as much. And I look forward to going and play with the guys I grew up with and played all my golf with. You know, that's going to be nice to go and, and do, do that. Those I have a lot of things in common with them, and I probably don't have that much in common with the 2021 year olds uh, out on the main tour. So, so that's going to be a, a nice uh, change of pace. Uh, which I'm looking forward to. And then, you know, golf Golf is as, you know, any sport comes always to crossroads where they, it's got to look at itself and say what, what's important. And I think we we certainly got issues in the game of, of trying to look at how do we want to see the game developing? Uh, how do we want to see, you know, we, we're taking all some of the greatest golf courses in the world out of play and, and, and we have to look at that. And obviously the USGA and the RNA are looking at that. The tours are looking at it as well. Um, but that something needs to be to be done to to protect uh, to protect the golf courses. I think more than anything, we we want to go and we don't want. 
golf courses like San Andrews and places like that to become obsolete for the for the professional game, that would be that would be a disaster in my eyes. Like I think we can build big fancy new golf courses around the world and they will stand up to the to any game of golf but that we still want to go back to the to the greatest courses in uh, and the oldest courses in the world and and put on a great show um and either you've got to accept that the winning scores are going to be minus 30 instead of minus 20 and say well that's just where the game is gone or you've got to say okay we we've got to do something i i still believe that the best solution is to make the golf ball bigger you know that's uh, that's a fairly simple solution to to just increase the size. We've done that before. We went from one six two to one six eight size, and you can make it one seven two now. Make the golf ball bigger; it'll be affected more by uh, side winds. It'll be affected more by drag into the wind, and and that'll make the ball go shorter. I, I, that for me just seems like a simple solution instead of trying to change golf equipment. Because I I strongly believe that the manufacturers of the game. Uh, is the people that put the most money back into the game and to to restrict what they can develop uh, with with golf clubs it's going to be really difficult to for them to to make new stuff that makes it interesting where making a bigger golf ball will let them fool around with how they can make that go longer and and see how they can do with that that still gives them opportunity to develop but you just change the size of the golf ball and that would be I'll also make the, the holes look a lot smaller, so it'd be more difficult to putt. Yeah. That won't be I'll good for you. you. And listen, I'm not in, listen, Bryson DeChambeau's got a lot to answer for, Thomas, on that front. Uh, not, I don't know if it's only him, but I think it, it's just it's time to look at what is the right solutions. I just think you can overcomplicate it instead of sometimes yeah. look at the simple solutions. Absolutely. Just so long as they make the holes bigger, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> Thomas, listen, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on this podcast. Always love catching up with you. Uh, best of luck for the for the tournament this week and and hopefully we meet face to face next time around but thank you so much for being involved in this in this new venture of of golf saudi's the power of the game podcast thomas we really appreciate it no thank you a massive thank you to thomas bjorn then for joining us on the power of the game podcast if you're interested in more about what's going on with golf saudi you can check out golfsaudi.com You can follow them on their social media. It's golf underscore Saudi on Instagram and Twitter. And you can subscribe to this podcast. We'll be releasing many episodes. You can catch up with all the latest progress and developments from the kingdom right here on the Power of the Game podcast. Until next time, we'll catch you then.